Reflection Sunday and what that is, what that means is the space for us to intentionally um, restructure our format and how we do Sundays to allow dialogue and conversation to happen. And we believe, absolutely believe that conversation and dialogue is important, not just uh, for, you know, for the church and how we learn, but it's formative, right? And it allows that space for us to, to engage together. And so today is that. It's a space to just dialogue. Um, and for us, uh, we've been going through a series called What the Heck is the Church? If you guys don't know, um, as we were talking about you know, our series for this year, uh, really this birthed out of everything that came, oh, well, not everything that came out of last year. It was prior to 2020. But 2020 really highlighted all the, the hypocrisy of the church, put it on full display. Right? And so for us, um, we had that question of, you know, one is, when are we going to get out of the pandemic? And it feels like we're almost out. Um, but what is the church going to look like post-pandemic, right? After all the, the junk and, and you know, um, fight against religious oppression for wearing masks and, and not meeting, um, to uh, be hypocritical about uh, racism, to, to be implicit to that, um, and, and so on and so on and so on. What could the church, what would the church, and what should the church look like, right? And so that was the question that we wrestled with. So we landed on this four-week series with uh, today being kind of the reflection panel. Um, and we answered three questions, and that's going to be kind of our, our structure for today. Three questions. Um, I think it's going to be on the screen. And here they are. This is what we intended to answer at the start of uh, this series. And the first question is this. What is the role of the church in the world? What is the role of the church in the world? Question number two is, what is the purpose of gathering together? And question number three is, what does the church, existing as it was meant to exist, look like to the world around it? And so um, as we go into that, it's going to be kind of a free flow as we move through those different questions. But that's going to be our framework for today. And so um, keeping, up, keeping you guys on your toes today, uh, we had kind of our primary text, which was in Acts 2, 42 through 47. So what I wanted us to do is, uh, before we kind of jump into our reflection panel, is to just anchor ourselves in God's word. And so um, if you can, uh, we're going to read God's word together. Ready? One, two, three. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. All right. So to kind of kick us off, uh, what I've asked each of our panelists, and if you guys don't know, this is Matt Stricker, this is Nan Harold, this is Elliot Chung. Um, and so they, they took uh, one or two uh, sermons in, in this series. And so what I've asked them to do, two questions to start. What was the most impactful for you, uh, you personally, as you studied and prepared for your message? And then question number two, and this is kind of a synopsis for us. What did you want our church to take away from your message? So what was the most impactful for you as you prepared your message? And then what did you want the church to take away from your message? And so we'll just go down the row. Let's drink if you could. Um, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here today. Um, 
So, I guess for me too, it's a, a kind of assuming that you've kind of heard this, the series, and if you didn't, I apologize if it doesn't completely make sense, but I'll try to catch you up as we go. But um, in the first week, what we talked about actually was um, how the people of the first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and that the apostles' teachings was saying that Jesus is Lord, and the, kind of surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. Um, and so, because of that, I wanted to kind of take a dive into the church as it is, like as a whole. And so, um, if you were here that first week, I, and this is what impacted me the most, to answer your question, Jay, was I went out and I, I sought people outside of evangelicalism, outside of the church, and just asked them, what do you think of when you think of the church? And I, I kind of knew what I was gonna get with that, with that question, but I didn't know how deep it was gonna go. And I heard a lot of pain from people. Um, and these are people that are my friends, these are people that are my, my colleagues, people that I've known from my past. Um, and so that struck me, the amount of pain and how much people wanted to talk about <laughs> how the church had kind of hurt them, you know? And it wasn't, it wasn't a good feeling being a person who is proud of the church and wants to be a part of the church. Um, and so that really affected me in a way that I really wanted to dive more into this series to find out then if the church is, if this is what the church looks like to the outside, what changes do we need to make so that it doesn't? Um, so it's more inviting, so it's a safe place. And one thing I wanted to say that I didn't get to say that week um, was I really love One Life City Church. Um, I'm not saying we do it perfect. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is I see a group of people, you all, here, that care about other people, that aren't just in at church to like, you know, say, gotcha, you're, you know, see that you're a sinner, so you don't belong. Like, that's not, that's kind of what other people see of the church, but I've, what I've noticed about our community is that that's, that's not representative of our community, and I'm really proud of that, and I'm happy for that, and I want us to go deeper into that avenue. I want us to, like, steer ourselves in that direction more and more, so that at least our expression of the church is something where people could look at us and be like, oh my gosh, those people are loving, those people are kind, those people want me here, instead of what I heard, which was the exact opposite. Um, so that's what kind of I, I took away from that week. And then secondly, for um, the second one that, that um, I was able to talk to with you all about was prayer. And what really struck me about that was how prayer is so formational. I, I told you that week I struggle with prayer. It's not something that comes easily to me. But to understand how prayer is formational, when, when prayer is a reminder of who I am and who I've been created to be, and, and that when I love God, I'm really doing that by loving others. And that constant reminder of, you know, and I've, I've been trying to keep that practice up. Um, even we were on vacation uh, the last week, trying each day in the morning and the night to, to, mm -hmm. to pray that prayer, to be reminded of, of who I am, who I was created to be, and how I seek to love others because of that. Um, so those are kind of the big impacts that, that I had. Hi, everyone. Nan again. Um, so I spoke about breaking bread last week. And it was an interesting subject for me because I didn't really grow up having much of a value for having meals with people, having meals with my family even. And I think the big takeaway from that was this idea of trying to find the kingdom of God in the mundane. The fact is that whenever Jesus had meals with people, as documented in Luke over 10 times, um, he always took the opportunity to pray and be grateful. He took the opportunity to have meals with others and to fellowship with them. And he also took that opportunity to teach them about scripture. And so I imagine as well, it was this exchange when you're having meals with people, whether they're Pharisees, whether they're a huge crowd or whether they're 
sinners and tax collectors, um, there was an exchange of ideas. There was an exchange of getting to know who people are. And to me, that was really impactful. Um, just recognizing the fact that scripture even comes into mealtime. I think it plays very much into what Matt was talking about with prayer, where you do it three times a day according to some traditions. You eat your meals three times a day or more. Um, and the fact is that if we are praying and if we are sharing scripture at each of those three mealtimes, those are three times of the day that we're intentionally taking out to recenter ourselves on God. And I think that really is what it means to be the church, is that not just that we're going through these rituals for the sake of going through rituals because it's what we do, but it's specifically because we constantly need to be reminded because we are sinful people that we are a people of God. This is what it means to be a people of God, and we are going to communicate with God to ask him to work in ourselves and in our relationships with other people to continue making us more and more Christ-like. And it's not something I'd ever thought about before in terms of mealtime, but you know, we have to eat, and if you're going to have to eat, you might as well take that time to also focus on God. It's just a good daily practical reminder to constantly be in God's presence. So good. Um, so my name is Elia. I get to speak on the topic of fellowship, or the Greek word being koinonia. And um, the, the primary drive was to highlight what makes Christian fellowship, what makes Christian gatherings <clears throat> special and unique. I think the main takeaway was that from that was um, the fellowship. It's when we talk about Christ, Christian fellowship, we're really talking about a three-dimensional fellowship with God and with church and with the world. And and as believers, we've got to hold all of those three dimensions equal in value and, and of importance. We can't just have one more or the other. Growing up in a immigrant mono-ethnic church community, um, there was value to that, and it was important as an immigrant community to have that space. Um, and, and there's time and place for that, but I think the gospel is much bigger than we, we, we have the opportunity to have a bigger expression of the gospel outside of that. So um, so growing up in church, uh, being a pastor's kid, I had a lot of thoughts about this. So actually, um, kind of give you behind the scenes stuff. We, we got this prompt early in the year, so we've had and some time to marinate and think about it. So I've been kind of jotting down ideas and notes, verses, passages, passages stories, um, in the last few months, and um, and looking back when it got time to like write the message, I was like, this is a really huge topic, <laughs> you know, and it, it felt almost unfair to try to talk about this topic from like two or three verses, and because it's all over scripture, it's from Genesis to Revelation, and so that's when I had this chart that had, it's a three-part Venn diagram. <clears throat> Which is awesome. Yeah, well, we, we could put it up. No, we don't have it. We could put it up sometime. <laughs> um, but I, I, um, yeah, so I think as I was putting it together, I think the thought that I had is like, there's something very kind of, um, I felt like a calling and purpose with this. Like, and, and not felt like a, also love for the church, but at the same time, burden for the church. Um, and just felt that both very um, intensely. Uh, and so personally, I'm, I'm still processing this, like, what, what does it mean for us to be that kind of church, a church that pursues Christian fellowship, pursues koinonia, um, because fellowship within the church context is not a secondary byproduct of the gospel. It's the primary expression of the gospel, and um, so it just really felt like this is, there's something to this. There's something, I could, I could die on this hill, and I'll be, I feel like I, I run my race well. Yeah. Thank you, Thanks.
So um, each of the, the speakers, they had um, one part of, of that package, right? And so what I've asked speakers to do, um, and kind of this is going to be our free flow for the rest of the time, um, to interact with each other. And um, as you guys heard one another, um, you know, deliver the sermon and the, the, the main points, what seemed to stand out to you guys? What questions came out, you know, as you guys were hearing kind of from one another? Um, and, uh, and what seemed to be impactful for, for each of you? So as you guys heard the whole series and it came together, um, what, what seemed to stand out for you guys? Yeah, actually, I could, I could start. So first of all, um, thank you to both of you, because um, y'all's messages like rocked me. <laughs> and it, it, I got home and I kept thinking about it throughout the week. I kept going back and I, re, I re listened to it. I rewatched it again a couple of times. And both, um, both of y'all's messages and um, Matt, dude, when you're sharing those stories about the people that I reached out to, like I cry every time um, thinking about that. And and I, I think I told you right after that Sunday, like I'm I'm actually like I started doing that and then it just it got intense too quick for me. <laughs> and I, I feel kind of like an impetus to start that up again because um, I think that'll be good for my soul. Um, um, and so there's so much there uh, for Nana. I Question for you, because you mentioned you were a um, self-confessed uh, eat-to-live person, you know, <laughs> uh, but you're talking about the topic of like breaking bread, and so like I, I'll, I'm ask, I'm wondering like how in your prepping, like how that topic has changed, or like how does an eat-to-live person process this, and like how has it changed you and shaped you, you know? I think it helps being Asian somewhat because I know that, um, so even though I never really shared meals with my family, like I went to my daughter's last dance recital on Friday and my parents brought like, of course, massive loads of food. And I told my kids, this is Asian for I love you. They won't say it, but they will feed you. And I think just recognizing the fact that this is a love language, um, pretty much a universal love language. And even though I don't necessarily receive it as something that you know, I'm the first thing that when people ask me, how can they love me? I'm not going to say like, you know, bring me some food. Um, but the fact is like just recognizing that it's a broadening of my own perspective and realizing like this is meaningful to people. I think even preparing for my discussion, we talked about the Passover, the traditional Passover meal, as well as Jesus establishing this new tradition. Now, Jesus's tradition is more in line with what I'm like, oh, Wine and bread, that's easy. I can do that. Um, Passover meal, um, the original one, tons of significance. And for me, um, just recognizing that there are these places, you know, God even in the book of Genesis, and sorry, not Genesis, but um, like Exodus and Leviticus, established all of these traditions, these feasts for people to observe. And it was a way of centering themselves on God's presence, but also a way of forgiving each other, a way of sharing in this shared heritage. And I think for me, um, it's still a stretch for me to try to make that more of a priority, but it's definitely something I want to be more intentional about because it's pretty clear that this is important to other people, and this is clearly important to Jesus based on his ministry. So it is something that I should take more stock in for the sake of others, not so much for myself. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. I, oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I got to say, Nan, like, from center message, I've been like dwelling on food, not food, but um, <laughs> the idea of um, sharing meals as like this, this holy um, experience. Yeah. And you know, the reality for me, 
we, meal times, we're just trying to survive. We're like, let's keep minimal food on the floor and get it in our tummies. Um, and then for Tanya and I, it's, it's, we're trying to get in a moment to connect, you know, during the meal. Um, but there's this, this vision, this recapturing of what meal was, right? And, um, and I feel like, you know, not only just the reality of, of my life, but I feel like in our culture, we've lost it, where it's just kind of this, like, consumeristic aspect of our daily thing, where we just got to feed ourselves and, and move on. Yet, you know, I think in Jewish culture, it was, a, um, it was hospitality. Yeah. It was a practice of tradition. It was an extension of saying, hey, I see you, I love you, I welcome you, let's eat together. Yeah. And so even for me, like, I, you know, I got to say, like, what I walked away with is this, um, you know, where, where I'm at, where my family is at, our reality is so far from the vision that was shared. But what has stuck with me as I kind of like sat with it is this vision is still applicable to me and my family. Like I still have to work towards this. Um, and part of that too is, is creatively thinking of how we can do that. And, and we've done stuff where, we're, where, where we eat on the driveway and on our street, I think we're the only ones. Um, but people walk by and our kids are screaming and throwing food and doing all that. And, um, but we're there, right? And we're, we're present to people. Um, and so it, it, uh, it was that piece where it's like recapturing the value of what sharing a meal was really about. And so, you know, thank you for, for kind of setting that bar and kicking that vision up to, to that level. Mm -hmm. so. I was just going to say kind of in that, maybe in that same light, and this might be switching gears a little bit, yeah. I hope that's okay. Um, you know, when Elliot, and maybe you can speak to this, so I'll just comment yeah. and let you yeah. know, but um, when you spoke about, about fellowship and, and meeting together and, um, it kind of made me think about how if we're going to live in the way the church was designed to live, that's really difficult. Um, we talked about how when people in the first century said Jesus is Lord, that was a huge political statement to say that Jesus is Lord and that you basically are saying that Caesar is not. And that, that's, you know, and we, we find throughout church history that the early church fathers and mothers actually had to hide, you know, they're, they're meeting in catacombs, they're, they're meeting in places where they're not going to get in trouble for meeting, and, and they're living life in this really different way that went totally against the culture. Yeah. And so I think for us, you know, obviously we're not meeting in catacombs, we're not hiding, which is awesome, but at the same time, like, what Jesus tells us to do goes very much against the culture very much against the culture, because we're not trying to, like, get on top. We're not trying to, like, you know, make sure we get as much power and money as possible. We're, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what culture tells us in the United States. Like, mm. you know, take care of yourself, get, get yours kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So living for Jesus and living under the lordship of Jesus is really difficult, isn't it? It's, like, really hard to do. And so where that brings me to at the church is that we need a, a, a place to land, <laughs> We need a place to be around other people who are doing the same thing, who are, you know, going to encourage me when things get hard, who are going to let me lament, who are going to celebrate with me when, you know, maybe it's something that the rest of the world would not celebrate, but I know my church community would. So um, I'd love for you to speak more into, you know, us meeting together. And that's kind of question number two, I think, was like, what's the purpose of us gathering? And I feel like there's huge implications to us gathering because i know a lot of people when we were online and part 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 me included because i'm such an introvert was like sweet i can just go online i don't have to interact with anyone it's awesome um but there is value yeah, in coming yeah. together i think that you hit on that yeah um yeah the question is like what is the purpose of gathering but i think the gathering is the purpose you know what i mean like like we we cannot do this faith without the context of community um thinking about just just 
as I say that, just like just waves of stories just cross my mind about how our communities and and how our community has affected my family, um, and the way I've experienced the gospel through community. Because um, what Christ calls us to do in the context of church and, and community is that we we participate in Christ in the context of community. We can never just, it's, it's never just hey just know this and live it out. It's, live it out you know it's like not just know this and that's it you're good you're into heaven but um not just know this and just to say it one time pray and then you're good it's know it and live it out live it out continue to practice it um like i think it's first thessalonians I, there's like a verse like i was compelled to like share the gospel not only share the gospel with you but share our, our lives with you as well and i think that's that's by the way first thessalonians is like the opus of like christian community what that's about and how it how it gets um, laid out and so, yeah, the community is the purpose. And you're right, it's, it's so difficult to live out this faith. And we cannot, we cannot do it without one another. And um, our relationship with one another is a testament to that, right? Yeah, yeah I'm totally with you on that. Um, yeah, and there's so many stories I could, that we could share. And even like with the four of us here. So. Yeah. Well, that might be something to share. Mm. So we're <laughs> open to that. So even... Um, it, so even yesterday, uh, we, we did a run through for today. Um, and you know, there's a shortage for, for children's ministry. Nan was, was gonna do that. Um, and, and so it was gonna be, hey, can we find a replacement from Nan? And, and you know, for myself, and I think for us, it was just like, oh gosh, like that, that sucks um, that that has to be the case. Um, and so even yesterday, there was uh, in, in kind of the present um, preparing for here, it was like that moment of, of Kind of truth-telling with Nan to say, hey, no, your, your, your voice has to be here, right? Like, we need your voice, um, but also a lament at what was broken, the fact that your first inclination would be, oh, well, I'm going to go do children's ministry because that's what I got to do, right? And it's for my kids and all that. Um, but the system that was set up was where, you know, Nan would have to get pulled out to do that, and we would get the chance to do this together. Um, and so even, you know, working through... The, the tension of what was broken. And, you know, even for me, so, you know, Elliot, as you were sharing too, it's like the, the purpose of gathering or if, if gathering was a purpose, there's that piece of conflict and tension that um, if, if we're not gathered, you're not working it out, right? And, and, I, um, and, and this is kind of a long process for me to understand and really accept, but, um, you know, I avoid tension. But what I've come to learn and appreciate is that tension is formative, conflict is good when you work it through in a healthy way. And so for us, um, I think one of the purposes when we gather is to know that there is going to be tension and to make that commitment to work through that tension. And in that process, I will totally affirm that we will encounter more of Jesus. Yeah. Right? And so work through conflict. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me, like, I just read it this, this week that um, in the Gospels, we only have about, uh, I think, so smart, way smart Bible people um, did the math on this saying that like, i think 23 what we have is 23 percent of jesus's public ministry was like that that's like jesus public ministry that's what we have like where all the healings and all the feeding of and and all that stuff and the rest of that jesus is spending time with his disciples so like that's jesus is like he was setting roots in a communal way first and then what we get in the gospels and all the big and sexy stuff is the 23 percent of his public ministry but the rest of the time he's with people He's, he's with his disciples. He's, he's doing life together and probably working out a lot of that conflict because even amongst the disciples, right, there's like, 
there's Sadducees, right? There's tax collectors, there are, you know. And so I, I imagine there's a ton of inter, inter, interpersonal kind of conflict and stuff that Jesus is always like, hey, Peter, come on, cool it, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and that's where Jesus' primary ministry was, if you really think about it, so with, the, with the 12 in the, in a communal context. And that, that, that's a good reminder too, Elliot, just it struck in my mind talking about like the different people that, the different types of people coming from different worlds, like mm. coming together to be in that community. And when I look at our community, that's something that, that I really, really love about our community and I feel strongly about our community is that when I look out at you guys, like not everyone looks the same and we have different cultures and different backgrounds and there are things from my inherited culture of white evangelicalism that I could never learn if I wasn't with some of you all who have taught me things from different cultures, different backgrounds, different ways of worshiping, different ways of interpreting scripture. Like I would have such a little base of knowledge of what the love of Jesus is without having the diversity yes. of people around me. And that's something that's not celebrated in my inherited culture. And I'm, I lament that. I'm really sad about that. Mm. But I'm so glad that, I have, that we have found a community where we can come and learn from other people and um, have some of those lessons I might have no, not learned otherwise. And so I think the diversity of our community and our group is something that's really special and something really important too that, that we should continue to seek out. Yeah. One thing that I really appreciate about our community is our commitment to honesty and commitment to lament. And I think a big part of that honesty that we share is this fact that we are able to talk about laments in really real ways. Because I think you can run the gamut from, I mean, I have friends who are part of the church where it seems like sometimes their first instinct is to just kind of say, everything will be okay. You know, if you pray, it'll all be better. Um, and that may be truth, but it's not necessarily loving and doesn't necessarily meet people where they're at when they're trying to pour out their souls. And I think that's just been such a great thing um, that we've been able to do together is that it is safe. We can lament we can feel that we're heard, but we don't necessarily feel like people are trying to like, you know, shovel scripture on our problems to make them go away. And I think that's so formational to our community is the fact that we make it safe so we can celebrate with each other. Like Matt, like you were saying, you know, something that nobody else would celebrate with you, the church is gonna celebrate with you. Like whether it's a teeny answered prayer or it was just something where, you know, that doesn't mean much to anyone else. I feel like I could bring it up to people and people will be like, Hey, you're excited about it, so we are excited for you. Mm -hmm. And I just, I hope that that's something that we'll continue to do. Yeah. And I, I love what, actually, when you share that, what reminded me of like, when we, because we could taste it together here in this context, it gives us, it's a reflection of who are uh, the character of God, you know, because like God isn't petty, you know? He's like, oh man, like, why, why are you like, you know, like, does a Japanese term called monkoing, which is like complaining, right? It's like whining. Um, like God, our God isn't that, like, he receives it, right? He's, he's big enough. He's a big boy. God's a big boy. Like, he can hear our um, complaints and our cries and our pain and receives it. He's like, how? and he comes alongside us as we've, we've seen with how Jesus modeled in his life and how, Holy, how the Holy Spirit engages with us in our everyday life. And so the fact that we do this in community is a reflection of our character, the character of God. And so, yeah, definitely formative formative in who we are as a people, but formative in terms of our theology and how we view God, for sure. I do have another comment, too. So for Matt, I think one of the most impactful things that I heard from your sermon, and I think was reflected in our sermons, too, but you really set the stage for this, yeah. was this idea that Jesus came to bring the new creation rather than the old. And I think, you know, not that it's not true, but a lot of times um, we get caught in this idea that of, Paul, of what Paul said, you know, you want to be in the world, but 
not of the world. And it becomes so easy to misconstrue that message sometimes, and I think yeah. we often do, where we think of, okay, well, we're the church, and those people out there, we need to save them. Um, there are things that we do that they can't do, and it becomes this message of exclusivity. And the idea that what we're not, we're not trying to strive for being in the world and, of, and not of the world necessarily, it really is more about trying to seek that new creation, trying to forge this new path, which is really an old path that Jesus set out for us, yes. that we are trying to seek Jesus' heart and be loving in everything we do, which is completely contrary to the old creation, which is these power structures, these ways of being that exclude others. And um, so I just wanted to ask you, um, a lot of the people that are perpetuating this old creation is the church. So how do we be the church to the church? How do we call that out in a loving way? How do we engage with that in a way that will help to transform people rather than just saying, we're not part of that church, we're our own church? You know, um, that's, a, that's, that's, such, that's so, such good stuff. I, I remember um, reading about that whole old creation versus new creation thing as I was like preparing. And it was so interesting to find out how many churches or expressions of the church try to use old creation tactics to create new creation spaces. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, so you have to fully step into who we were created to be, go back to see who Jesus was, because Jesus is the human that we were all really created to be, that he's living out the way that humans are supposed to live in the world. And so I think one thing that to go along with that is for us as a church community and for us as hopefully one day the big church of the umbrella, to stop being so dualistic and saying like, pointing out sin to be like, aha, gotcha. Because I feel like there's a lot of churches that are like, gotcha, gotcha, that's why you can't, that's why you can't belong to what we do, because you do that. And instead, yes, seeing sin for what it is, but, but the ultimate goal is not gotcha, the ultimate goal is restoration and healing. And when I can show you that you have value, and even in the midst of what, what maybe you're doing that doesn't align with our values, that you as a person are still valuable, and you hold that value, and I show you that love. That's a lot of times what people are reaching for and they want and they're seeking anyways. And once, they, they, once people feel that and feel that love and they feel that they're accepted for who they're created to be, I think that that's that shift that starts to happen. And so a lot of times, you know, Vanessa and I were talking about this just yesterday. A lot of times I think the church as a whole, again, I'm not talking about our expression, but the church as a whole, it feels like they want to just draw this line. And, on, on, and the line is like, I'm on this side because I'm good. It's all self-righteousness. I'm following the piety rules. So I'm going to draw a line. I'm on this side, and you're on that side, and that creates dualism. And I feel like Jesus did draw a line. I feel like he did. But I feel like the line he drew was, on this side are people that love God and love others. Hmm. And, on the, and then there's the other side. And if you draw people in through that love, and they see that, and that's why the church grew. We read in the scripture earlier that the numbers kept growing. It wasn't because they were going out and persuading people or guilting people into coming their way. It's because they were showing, here is how you live. Here is how Jesus taught us to live. And apparently, that's super attractive. Um, and that's why people started to come and be formed in the way that they were. And so, and I think that's what creates. When, you're, when, you, when, you, go on the, when you see that line that says, love God, love others, I think that that's where that new creation space happens. Because, like Jesus said, on all the law and prophets, like they hinge on this. Yeah. Oh man, there's there's so much there to like unpack and digest and stuff. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. I, I, first first thought is, um, I think definitely we as a church as a whole, and including ourselves too, um, 
I think we gotta do a better, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this for myself. I'm trying to do a better job of like saying, hey, not like, not so much focus on like, hey, stop doing that, you're so sinful, but hey, this is what we're being called into. Like church literally means called out ones, right? Like ecclesia, called out. So like, the question is, what are we being called into? And that's this holy community. And we gotta paint a, a vision of that that's so compelling because, I mean, and it is compelling because it is Christ. Christ is at the center of it. And I, I believe that there's nothing more compelling than the person and the, of Christ and the gospel that he, and the, the life that he lived out. If that's center, I think that's, so, that's very compelling. But we have, as a church, as a whole, and myself, haven't given a good vision of that, a compelling vision of that. So I think this is where like, this conversation of like, this is what the church could be. This is, this is what the church is gunning for. I, I, think that's where, like, I think that's where it happens. But so the second part is I think how we get there, I think starts based on where we are right now as a society. I think the church has to model what it's like to live in true repentance, to say, hey, we're sorry, we messed up. Um, like we're contributing to this. It's not you. It, it's it's I'm I'm at I'm at fault too. Like I I can't think of any other societal kind of entity where it makes repentance a requiring factor into like it's a community like repent, and the kingdom of God is coming. Like and so like the fact that like we're kind of big picture stuff. The fact that we have Christian nationalism. It's kind of an ironic thing because we haven't repented. <laughs> we haven't repented for our sins. Because if we are a Christian, then we should be the first, first people group to say, we, we're sorry, we, re we repent. We're going to turn from our ways. And so I think practically what that looks like for us in, in the first steps is let's repent. Let's repent, starting with, starting with me. Um, one of the thoughts that I had dwelled on um, coming out of uh, pretty much all the messages was, well, mainly for you, Elliot, it was the idea that, you know, when we, when we have fellowship, it's fellowship with church, God, and the world. But oftentimes when we think um, of that Venn diagram, it's us in the middle, right? Mm. It's us and whatever we need to, like, reach out to. But that's created the dualism, too, where I mm. think when we even listen to the command where God says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as, as yourself, we think of it as this one-way street, and it's not in return. And so one of the things that's been impactful even for me over the number of years is um, not that the world needs us, but that we also need the world. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think one of the, the solutions in that too is, man, the world is God's answer to my self-righteousness, my pride. Mm -hmm. yeah. The world reminds me desperately of how much we need a Savior, of how much we need a Lord, of how wrong things are, how broken things are. And not that the world is the, the sole source and contributor, but that I have a part in it. And so as I play and as I engage, my salvation gets stronger, right? And so even in, um, you know, so, you know, it is the relationships, right? It is the conversations. Um, it, it is being aware of what's happening externally in the world. Um, and then it is taking ourselves and putting it in the, into the circumstance and owning it to a degree, right? So, um, you know, that's the kind of thought that came out. Matt, for you, I, I, you know, I was curious, like, you interviewed a lot of people, and I don't know if they had a chance to hear your message or hear any of the messages, but, um, you know, I'm wondering, did you get a chance to follow up with them? And, um, and, and since, you know, if they've heard your message, like, how did the conversation continue to flow? Because I feel like that's a, a real-life mm. example of what, what we need to do. 
I've only interacted with two people that I, I was able to talk to beforehand. And beforehand, I, I literally reached out to like 20 people, and I think 19 of them got back to me. Whether it was, you know, face-to-face -face was easy, but, you know, people emailed me, I sent messages through, you know, direct messages through social media. Um, but two people I've spoken to since then, or actually I've typed to <laughs> since then. Um, but both of them said the exact same thing. And both of them said that, um, we wish that your community, your expression of the church was where we live. Because we would go to that. Like we, we would, I, I, would, I, would, I would go to those doors knowing that I, I would be accepted and knowing that I can learn with a community of people who aren't gonna like just patch judgment on me, but that really want to see, that want to see what's best for me. And it was so hard to hear that too because I'm like, doesn't that exist where you live? <laughs> Can't you go, isn't there some, somewhere where you live you can do that? And it, it seemed like the resounding answer was no, that this community, and again, we're not perfect, I'm not saying that, but that this community is something, somewhere where people that look at the church as super negative would willingly come into our doors. Um, and to me, that, that's super impactful. And that to me, that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it speaks to, to you guys, it speaks to the leadership, to the board, to the people who are making the decisions of our church, too, to say, like, let, let's do things a little bit differently than, than what's been happening over the last how many years, because um, there's people that are really hurting. And that's what you know, I took away from those initial conversations with the people are hurting, and I feel like it's the role of the church to address that, because um, we don't want people to be hurting, right? And, and I think that that's where we've got a little bit, not, again, the big C church has gotten a little bit backwards. Um, but that, that was super impactful to hear both of them say, we wish we could come you know, to your expression of the church. Thank you, man. Um, one, I did want to give us a chance to, if there's any questions or, or comments that you guys wanted to share here or outside, um, to be able to do that. And so um, if you guys do, feel free to just speak it out. Um, but the other part for us, uh, and this is kind of where I would love for us to be able to land, you know, we're working through the question of what is the role of the church in the world? What is the purpose of gathering together? And I hope we're kind of starting to, to get a glimpse of what that looks like. Um, and then the third question is, what is the church existing as it was meant to exist look like to the world around it? And so for myself, um, I think, you know, when it gets to these uh, conversations where it just feels like, you know, we, we see what's wrong, we see what's broken, and, and we get an idea of what it should be, but I, I can still get stuck because I don't have a vision of what could be, right? I, I know the should, I have the vision for that, but I don't know how it could be, right? And so um, we're, we're going through, I'm part of this uh, racial reconciliation collab um, that's here in Fullerton, and I'm reading a book uh, by um, Austin Channing Brown, and um, the book's titled I'm Still Here. And in, in her book, there's an excerpt where she says, reconciliation is the pursuit of the impossible, an upside-down world where those who are powerful have relinquished that power to the margins. It's reimagining an entirely different way of being with one another. Reconciliation requires imagination. It requires looking beyond what is to what could be. And one of the things I, I landed on um, in that is, um, one, we, we don't need to twist this vision of what could be. Right? The Holy Spirit is already present. And that, that's the promised gift uh, in God's plan. And so we as a church, if we've gathered, we have the Holy Spirit. And if we've surrendered to the Holy Spirit, He's moved, right? Yeah. And so I know without a shadow of a doubt, each of us here have encountered the church being the church, right? And so that's where I kind of wanted to um, kind of move us to, and this will kind of 
be the closure of our time, but for our panelists and, and today, um, where have you guys, where have you encountered the church being the church that God intended it to be? What are those stories that you guys have seen and witnessed? And in that too, if there's any closing thoughts to share, um, go ahead and, and share within that area. I'm going to put my preacher hat real quick. <laughs> um, recently, I was, re I was reading through Romans 12. And Romans 12, he's like, I grew up leading worship a lot. So Romans 12 was like the hot verse of like, offer your bodies as living sacrifices as your spirit chakra worship. But then the rest of it talks about, right after that, it talks about, then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it talks about humble yourself. Then it talks about the gifts. And then it talks about love must be sincere, love in action. So serve one another, be devoted to one another. And so I look at that and go, oh, true act of worship is allowing ourselves for our minds to be changed by the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us so that we enter into a space of humility and now that we recognize each other's gifts that that not like I'm better than you or anything like that. But in that space saying like, how can I be devoted to you? How can I commit myself to you? How can I love you and honor you and lift you up? And I've, uh, like, like, like we talked about before, I, I'm so thankful that we could experience a glimpse of that in our community in so many ways. And um, I think a lot of the church contexts that I've been a part of at, in different leadership roles, and a lot of it is about, hey, okay, he, we're paying you for this. We want you to do this because we're paying you for this. Um, and this is the first church context where I came and was like, hey, what are your gifts? Like, how, can we, how can we serve you? How can we love you? How can we... Uh, like protects you and set healthy barriers so that you're thrive so they can thrive to do what you like you, what you're created to be and that's our desire for each of you here um but like but some of those barriers and stuff and boundaries and stuff or boundaries not barriers boundaries we've never i've never had that in a church context and um and that in turn has protected like our family and uh, um, our marriage and i'm so thankful for that um and there are different like seasons, and most of you all know the story, but like different seasons that my wife and I went through, I went through, of like just grieve and hurt and lament, and y'all have loved us and supported us, and th like this is my ongoing kind of like thing, but like I, I know I'm a pastor of this church, but I've been pastored by our church, and I think that that is a glimpse of God's kingdom right there, where it's not about like hey who's up on top, but it's about Who's here together, and how can we love one another? Um, and so I'm, think, I'm so thankful for our community. Um, and I, I look forward to us just continuing to mature in, in this, that we can continue to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and be, allow the Holy Spirit to transform our minds and that we can humble ourselves and lift each other up and devote it to one another. And Ursula, what about for you guys? Where have you guys encountered the church being the church? Um, going back to this idea of seeing the kingdom of God in the mundane, I think I've always been met at this church with just meeting me in needs that I didn't even know I had, mm -hmm. as well as when I reach out. I always feel like there's this trust that I have that people will pray for me, um, that they will share scripture and share songs with me to encourage me. So um, one thing that I deal with kind of on a regular basis is um, I have pretty severe social anxiety um, and I also um, sometimes I'm prone to depression. So I'm managing that on like the medical side. 
but just sometimes like the heaviness really gets to me and it's one of those things that's just been really hard for me to admit that I'm dealing with because um, it's like I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not trying hard enough to get better. What's wrong with me? I didn't do this or that or that, you know, that I should have done to prevent another episode from happening. But anytime, um, like no matter how dark things get sometimes, I feel like I can always reach out to like specifically the ladies in our life group. Um, you guys have prayed over me so much um, and wept with me. And um, yeah, just shared encouragement for me because I think that's part of what it means to be part of the church is that we point each other back to God when we can't see him ourselves. Mm. And that's been super, super impactful for me. Um, and kind of related to that too, I think is just the diversity of voices that we have on our church. It's been really encouraging to see such a diverse church board and even a pastoral staff where the teaching doesn't just fall on a couple of people, which is great for people not getting burned out, but also just for having a diversity of voices, like you guys were saying in fellowship and in the teaching, being able to see the gospel from different perspectives has been really life-changing for me. And even being asked to be on the teaching team and being asked to be on the church board myself it's not that I'm particularly charismatic or outspoken, and that's, that's kind of like the world, that's the old creation, right? That's like how the world identifies leaders is, what do you bring to the table? How much money are you gonna be able to bring? You know, how marketable you are? But I feel like we don't have that at this church, and so it really, I feel like I am seen for being me. I am seen for my story, and I'm seen for um, what specific gifts I have as opposed to, like you were saying, Elliot, what peg can we like, shove you into that makes it work for the church? Um, and even having these panels where it's not just the teaching team up here, if you guys haven't been here before, we will have panels where we talk about, uh, where we have discussions with people from the church. And I think, you know, we can have discussions one-on-one. -on -one. It's just different, though, to have people up here. So we did our COVID panels earlier this year, back in February. We, we talked about um, people in different life contexts and what they've been dealing with in terms of going through these difficult times together. And I think it's just so important. I haven't seen this at any other church where people are invited up to speak, don't necessarily fit some sort of mold. It's just the people in our community because we all care about what you guys have to say and we all care about your story and what you're going through, regardless of how it fits into our narrative as larger, because it really is part of our narrative. The fact is this church is made up of individual people and I hope that each of you feels seen and heard. And if you don't, then I repent for that because I'm probably a big part of that. Um, but yeah, just I hope that we continue this honest conversation so that we continue to feel like we can speak out and be seen. And then lastly, um, just really quick too, it's not all in the big picture stuff um, that we see the church being the church. It's in experiencing when we had kids and having people bring meals over. You know, we, we have you have a new baby and people are bringing in food and and meals to help you out. It's in um, being included in things. You know, I don't like often like put myself out there because of my introvertedness. <laughs> and then, you know, being reach out and including me or including others that maybe don't feel included. Like that's the church being the church as well. Um, you know, I got to experience the immigrant's journey through Global Immersion because this church partnered with the Global Immersion Project to, um, to help facilitate that, that, uh, that trip. So I got to go down uh, to Mexico, Tijuana, and engage in that conflict and see it for what it is and open my eyes to things i would never seen before and that's the church again offering opportunities to expand me beyond what i would have known otherwise um and then lastly jay i think is is uh one more thing 
when I didn't get to talk about this because I ran out of time. In fact, there's like hours of stuff I didn't get to talk about because I ran out of time. <laughs> but we talked about the Shema. And the Shema was that, um, that prayer that comes from different places, but it starts in Deuteronomy. The um, hero of the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. All, all that kind of stuff. Shema, the word in Hebrew, it means like, it means look or like stop and look. But it also means to act. Whenever, whenever it's used, whenever um, the prophets use that word, or even they're saying that God is using that word Shema, it doesn't mean just listen. It means listen and do something. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you could say, you know, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, whatever, which is great. But then there's action that comes with that. And that word itself says that if you have the chance, if you have the chance, check out the Bible Project video. There's a whole video about Shema. And it is, it's really helpful, and it like drives that point home. Because I think a lot of the big C church, again, will say, like, you know, I love God, I, you know, I'm religious, but, but where's, where's the fruit? Where's the action? And that is a direct command from that word, is that you've got to do something about it. And that's what I do see when you guys are bringing meals, when you guys are inviting people in. Like, that, that's following that command, and that's beautiful. Thank you, guys.